Well, a lot of things stood out on Saturday, including a select few individuals. And Oregon keeps having standouts in these games on both sides of the ball. And that's a really good thing. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time at Create app, create an account, use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Individual standouts, my favorite thing to do here on a Tuesday post-Saturday victory. Why the slow start on offense? A question about that. And oh my sweet baby Jesus, as Ricky Bobby would say. Did you see those throwbacks? Hoo-hoo, boy. We got to talk about those. We are, uh, we are going to talk about those. Let's talk about some individuals first, because I like looking over the course of the season on Tuesdays to talk about who stood out individually, right? Monday, big takeaways, big trends, Saturday night, instant reaction. Tuesdays are for, okay, who had a really, really good game? Who could continue that going for? Who do we need to see? And when you see players popping up on here over and over again, that's when you start to ask the question at the end of the year, is this an all-conference caliber player? But uh, that's a question for a later day. So let's start with Bo next. I, I mean, let's appreciate this guy in his last year of college football for how good he is. We, we, are, we are so ho-hum about this win against Stanford and the one against Colorado. And, and all he's done in those games is throw for, I, I think, seven touchdowns and 200. I don't know what his averages are. He was 27 to 32, 290 yards and four scores. Yada, yada, yada. Ho-hum. Another day at the office for Bo Nix. That's not an easy thing to accomplish, even against a Stanford team that is not very good right now. Like he, he just rolls out of bed and is productive, and he always is poised. He is always such a cool customer and a much different quarterback than the guy that we saw for three years at Auburn. And I, I mean, he's he's just fantastic. I, I just continue to like him more and more each week. I continue to trust in him more and more each week. His completion percentage is just mm, outstanding. He's got a good running back tandem right now because Noah Whittington isn't there or it's normally a, a trio. I don't know if tandem can be a three-person affair, but I think it has to be two. Jordan James, six carries, 88 yards. 88 yards on six carries and a touchdown. This is the sort of success that frankly took too long to develop for Oregon in the ground game, but once it got there, Jordan James looks really good. He, he, he looks outstanding. And it's not like there was a 40 or 50 yard run in here. He had a couple big ones. The touchdown run was, I think, around 25 yards or so. He had another one in the 30 to 40 range. Jordan James right now, PFF is grading him exceptionally well, as they should, because he looks really good. And this is why recruiting matters. This is why depth matters. This is why development matters. This is why we talk about a two or three deep at every position all offseason coming into the year. Noah Whittington goes down. No drop-off in production here with Jordan James. Do I want to have all three? Yeah, of course, because I you know, don't want another guy to go down, obviously. But Bucky Irving, Jordan James, Noah Whittington, these guys are all really good. And I thought coming into the year, I was really high on Jordan James. I didn't know what his role would be beyond the short yardage situation. It's clearly expanded, and he clearly deserves it. 
he's clearly earned it. I thought coming into the year, he can be more than just a short yardage guy, and he's shown that this season. His burst, oh boy, he has got home run hitting potential, but he's a lot like Noah Whittington in that he's kind of shifty, not quite as much as Whittington. I think he's uh, a little bit more physical of a runner. That's why he's the short yardage guy, but I mean, the, the, the yards per carry, the big games, the touchdowns, he, he's just doing everything that is asked of him at a high level right now. Terrence Ferguson, I have also been on the T-Ferg hype train since last season. He has rewarded my faith time and time again. I think he's NFL bound after this year. I would love to have him back. But that catch that he made in the end zone, first of all, I liked the play call quite a bit on fourth and two. Second of all, I liked the throw from Bo Nix. And third of all, I loved the catch from T-Ferg. Like, he got by the guy who was able to recover and put himself in position to make a play. t just got too strong a hands. He's just a big, strong, physical dude. We know he's good in the run game. Also, side shout out to Patrick Herbert, who is playing some really nice football for Oregon, especially in the run blocking department. But T-Ferg, four catches, 49 yards, and a touchdown. He's a guy who is not demanding the football. He's not somebody who's like, oh, you know, get me the ball or I'm not going to block or anything like that. No. He's just out there giving the ball when, you know, you feel like you need to get it to me, Bo. And I, I just, I loved that touchdown from T-Ferg and what he's done in the in the run game from a blocking standpoint, I, I think has been really good. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Those were not the only offensive standouts, obviously. Those are the ones that stood out the most to me in, in watching the game. Let me know who you think stood out individually and needs a shout-out here on the show. YouTube comments or Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open for anything of that nature, including a mailbag question. You can also go on a subtext link in the description below to join. So, defensively, Steve Stevens IV. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Coming into the year, I was not super high on Steve Stevens. Last year, I could only really recall one game where he made a noticeable impact. It was really just one play against Cal. He knocked away a pass in the end zone. I thought Brian Addison would be playing more than Steve Stevens this year, and that has not been the case. Steve Stevens has outsnapped Brian Addison last I had checked, and he played really, really well on Saturday against the Cardinal. Eight tackles. He led the team in tackling. This is a guy who last year, I think you would have said, was one of the players who is solid but you know can be improved upon, or that the production from that position can be improved upon as the defense looks to improve. And the defense has improved, I think, at all three levels. And one thing that's, that's notable with this defense is individuals who are newcomers are making an impact. Jordan Birch, Mateo Uyunglele. Look at guys like, I mean, Bryce Betcher is technically a newcomer, not not really, but just go across the board, Kyrie Jackson. But then there are guys who played last year that have returned and are making more of an impact and are better versions of themselves. I get questions all the time about coaching and development and whether or not the staff is capable of doing that, whether or not they're doing it at a high enough clip. Lots of examples this season of development from last year to this year. And that's a credit to the coaching staff. It's a credit to the players, the strength and conditioning staff, nutritionists, everybody involved there making these players ready to go when they take the field to be better than they were in 2022. Steve Stevens has been that to this point. Eight tackles to lead the team. I didn't think there'd come a day where Steve Stevens led the team in tackles. He's been a solid player over the years. I never consider him a high impact player, but he was all over the place. He was all over the place on Saturday, and I thought that was awesome. There are a couple more guys defensively who 
fall into that category of being an individual standout. One's a newcomer and one is a returner. You should all be returning to game time to buy your tickets, whatever you're going to buy your tickets to, because you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. I'm just two and a half hours away from Las Vegas. There are all sorts of events down there I want tickets for. Game time is where I'm going for that. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. You can see the view of your seats when you click on them. That's one of these neat features that game time has to give you exactly what you know or what you're going to get when you arrive. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code L O C K E D O N C O L L E G E. That's Locked On College for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Second segment sips. Always guaranteed to make an impact here on the show. Evan Williams made an impact on Saturday. Evan Williams did not have a good game against Texas Tech. The eye test would tell you that. The PFF grade would tell you that. Heck, I bet Evan Williams would probably tell you that. It was his first game of the year. Well, guess what? Evan Williams in the last couple of weeks has been a really good player. He was a preseason all-conference second team selection, which I was surprised about, but then I thought about it. I thought, well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would Evan Williams, a guy who hasn't taken a snap of football in the Pac-12, who's coming from a Mountain West school, be a preseason all-conference second team? Like, there are a lot of good defensive backs in this conference. How could that possibly happen? The answer is a lot of Pac-12 coaches had either seen the film, perhaps tried to recruit him, or played against him while he was at Fresno State. And this dude is a different player than his brother. Most notably, he is much faster. He had seven tackles. He had another sack. And every time Evan Williams comes on a blitz, it seems like he's getting to the quarterback at a really high rate. Now, that does not lead to the question of why don't they blitz him more. But I think the defensive staff, your top three defensive coaches in order are Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoy, and Chris Hampton. They are doing an outstanding job right now of taking the speed in the secondary that they perhaps feel they didn't have a year ago, or maybe just wasn't as effective a year ago, and the physicality up front, and matching that with blitz packages that are getting home all the time. Free runners at the quarterback. The closing speed is outstanding. Evan Williams hits hard. Evan Williams covers well. He tackles well. I mean, he's just been an all-around high-impact player for the Ducks at the secondary. As I mentioned earlier, talking about Steve Stevens, that is something that was sorely missing from this Oregon team a year ago was high-impact players at the safety and linebacker positions from a year ago. I mean, aside from Christian Gonzalez, who was Oregon's most impactful defensive player last year, I'd argue maybe, uh, I mean, Brandon Dorless, obviously, Brian Addison, perhaps, Noah Sewell, maybe. I mean, there are a lot of different ways you could go there. But 
looking at this defense, Evan Williams is one of the standout players week after week. When he comes on a blitz and he is the quarterback, boy, he looks really good and really fast. And he did on Saturday. That's the newcomer. Here's the returner. Remember that thing that I mentioned not that long ago, the returners who are elevating their game? Perhaps the most quintessential example to this point has been Taki Taimani. Taki Taimani last year was a real solid player for the Ducks. I would not have described him as a high impact guy. He has made a big impact in 2023. He is grading out right now on PFF as one of the top 25 interior defensive linemen in all the country. He's getting after the quarterback. He was always good in the run. He's gotten even better. He and Dorless were a part of that fourth down stop of Tyler Shuck on the quarterback run, you know, uh, three weeks ago in Lubbock. He has been outstanding, and he's got a revenge game coming this Saturday against his old team in Washington. That's a guy who was solid a year ago, and I projected him coming into the year as probably your number four defensive tackle. I think my projected two deep was uh, a Dorless and Rogers on the interior and then, or, or Popo, but probably Dorless and Rogers, uh, and then Popo and, and Taimani as well. And then you can move Jordan Birch around and all that sort of stuff. But we're seeing a lot of players play on the defensive line. Birch is making an impact. Dorless is a beast. Another guy who somehow looks better than last year, which is weird because he was really, really good last year and he's really, really good this year. So I love what I'm seeing from Taimani, Evan Williams, Steve Stevens. Those are my biggest defensive standouts individually. And then offensively, T. Ferg, Jordan James, uh, and of course, Bo Nix. I mean, what more can you say? And I could have put Troy Franklin on here as well. You know, talk about setting a high bar. Troy, Troy Franklin doesn't crack my list here of guys who, you know, really, really popped. And he had over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, another boring day for Troy Franklin. So uh, a, lot, a lot of guys out there. By the way made his first appearance of the year in terms of recording a statistic. Chris Hudson had one catch for eight yards on a third and two. A nice throw from Ty Thompson, by the way. Sprint out to his right, makes the right read, balls on time, on the money, and boy, he's got a howitzer for for an arm. It's just an absolute cannon. Limited action, but liked what I saw there from Ty Chris Hudson looks to be this year's Byron Cardwell. That That's just how it appears. And I think it's a really tough situation for Chris. He's been nothing but a productive player for the Ducks who stayed uh, amidst the coaching change, who, you know, you go look at his numbers, he's just continued to get better and better. End of 2021, Chris Hudson was probably our most important receiver. He's the guy that Anthony Brown was relying on a lot, you know, as much as Anthony Brown actually threw the ball to to wide receivers. Hudson was the go-to guy. And last year, Hudson was Oregon's second leading receiver. And I, I think like Byron Cardwell, he was... Um, they, they just have so many similarities here. Four-star recruits, shown a lot of production, certainly capable, but the new staff comes in and they want to have guys who they know, who they think better fit what they're trying to do. And I, I look at Gary Bryant Jr. and he's having a great season and he's having a bigger role than I perhaps thought he would because I didn't know if he'd be able to beat out Hudson on the depth chart, but clearly he has. And, and Gary Bryant Jr. is doing a great job. I'm, I'm not. This is not a bash Gary Bryant Jr., I just look at it and say, other than a connection, you know, a, a recruitment standpoint, I, I don't know what what Gary Bryant does that Chris Hudson does not do. I, I know Hudson had his issues uh, like 
staying balanced and whatnot, finding the end zone. But Gary Bryant Jr. hasn't been a big touchdown guy this season. And Hudson caught, I, I think, a couple last year. I forgot to, to check the stats and such. But uh, it's it's a strange situation, and it's just the harsh reality of playing Power 5 football. Like, Hudson is certainly a guy who, you know, I would like to keep on the roster because if you start to have injuries at wide receiver, like if either Gary Bryant or Tez Johnson were to go down, I presume at the position they play, Hudson is the guy to, to step in. So, I, I, I hope he hangs around, and I think he's a really good player because we've seen him be a really good player thus far, though. Dan Lanning and, and his staff have made it clear. Cutthroat business, if they feel like they can improve, they feel like they have something better with Gary Bryant there, and, and, and that's the reality on the ground right now for Chris Hudson is he's just been pushed down the depth chart much like Byron Cardwell was. Like Cardwell looked like one of the guys of the future in 2021, but then the new staff came in, brought in all these guys, who, who they knew and who they had recruited or had relationships with. And then Cardwell got forced out and unfortunately suffered an injury before he could suit up for Cal. So uh, after he made it his first catch of the year, I thought that was uh, noteworthy. So again, let me know. Uh, curious as to who you all think stood out individually. If I missed somebody, by all means. Uh, and we can talk about it on tomorrow's show. Uh, though tomorrow we might have Brian Smith, where I'm still trying to figure out the schedule. No, that's going to be later in the week. I think. Okay, never mind. We'll get to, we'll get to that later. Stay tuned. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to or watching the show. Let's go to the mailbag. Again, YouTube comments, Twitter, or subtext. If you want priority mailbag questions, you can talk with me one-on-one -on -one and get even more detailed thoughts. I know. Amazing to think I could have more, but sometimes I try. This is from Johnny Rocket 6379 Do you think the boring play calling in the first one and a half quarters had to do with not wanting to show our hand to Washington? Then after seeing that we're in trouble, the coaches decided it was enough playing around. Just a thought I had. I'm not going to sit here and say this is impossible. My answer is still no. Uh, my answer is still no because Oregon has played five games now. Washington knows what to expect, and we're not going to radically change the offensive philosophy or approach. The reason that I, I preface my, my answer of no with a statement is that in 2021, Oregon open with Fresno State. It was a good Fresno State team, one that Oregon should have been able to dominate. And when Kayvon Thibodeau was playing, they were at 14 nothing. Then the offense just completely stalled, and it was very vanilla in many ways. And then they seemed to have pulled out a couple more elements and wrinkles that they hadn't shown the previous week when they went to Ohio State. It's not like coaching staffs don't do this. And I'm sure there are a couple elements of this offense or a couple plays that are going to be installed over the next week or two that Washington has not seen on film, and they will certainly do the same thing. I don't know that Lanning and, and the staff went into this saying, let's just be as bland and boring as possible, because if you know you're better than the other team, don't you want to come out, put them away early, get your starters off the field and avoid injuries? Don't you want to impress the AP voters in the college football playoff committee so that you can have a chance to be in that conversation when it comes time? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't think that that's accurate. And I, I feel about 90% confident saying that I looked at the plays they're running. It looked a lot like the plays they've been running before Oregon, you know, as a, as a team, they were just kind of asleep. They were just kind of rolling through, going through the motions. And uh, Bo said at one point after the game that Stanford had mixed up a couple defensive looks. So again, props to Troy Taylor and his staff. I, I think Troy Taylor 
has a chance to succeed at Stanford. I think he's a pretty solid coach. He had a good game plan. They threw wrinkles at the Ducks they hadn't seen before. So number one, it took time for the adjustments to kick in. Number two, Stanford was doing what Stanford has always done. It just looked a little bit different. They were bleeding the clock. So Oregon's offense couldn't get out there. But eventually, Will Stein made the adjustments. Oregon got things rolling. I think they woke up. We're playing, you know, more energized and determined to really make things happen. And that's why you had uh, the slow start. I, I don't think that they, you know, I mean, all the plays they ended up running were the same sorts of ones that we've seen all season long. Like at some point, you just got to have the Jimmies and the Joes to match up with it, which Stanford did not. They weren't able to, you know, hang on for very long. And Oregon, of course, went on the 42 to nothing run. But I, I don't think they were changing a lot. I, I'd be surprised if we didn't see a couple wrinkles for Washington in a couple weeks, but or in what is it now? A week and four days. Gosh, I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun, but also nerve wracking and <laughs> terrifying and such. Uh, but to answer your question, no, I don't think they were going. You know, total total vanilla there. I think that's what you do against like Portland State, not necessarily against Stanford, though Stanford's not good. Um, and the other thing too, is you want to be able to execute your plays and be able to play away from home and everything like that. So, um, no, I, uh, do not. Okay. We got to talk about the uniforms, man. Did they look good? They weren't made by bird dogs, but gosh, they look good enough to have been made by bird dogs because bird dogs make you look good. Their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. They fit better than regular shorts. They're made of a stiff, restricting cotton. You got to go get your next pair because these shorts are good for any occasion. You can wear them swimming, golfing, hiking, walking, wintering around. If you're wearing shorts in the snow, whenever that happens, date, like do whatever you want. Show your, or you, you, you got to go and be able to show yourself wearing Bird Dog shorts because they are outstanding. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. Enter promo code locked on college at checkout for free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Spencer, was that a third segment sip? Yeah, it was. You know why? I was in the sun all day on the golf course, hence the golf shirt, which I was wearing on the which I'm wearing on the show today. For those of you listening on podcast I did not play particularly well and you didn't care but you had to hear it anyway because this is my show sort of it's your show like I do the show for all of you however I am the executive producer the director and the host of this show so it's our show let's call it our show shall we all right did you see oh my gosh man did you see those uniforms did you see them because Oh boy. So the Oregon football account tweets out, for those who are not aware, these throwback retro unis with, I think, a slightly more modern green on the front, the throwback yellow helmets with the old school UO logo, reminiscent of the ones that were worn in 2014 in the game against Washington, one of the best uniforms I think Oregon has ever worn. I have long been a proponent that the Ducks wear a throwback uniform once a year. Now, typically, that's something you do when you are at home, understandably so, so the home fans can appreciate it, the nostalgia, the brand, and everything like that. It all just kind of tracks. Why would Oregon tweet that out? Number one, because they're about to be available for retail. Number two, they're awesome. Number three, they're really awesome. And number four, it makes us wonder, are we going to see them this year? I 
better see them in a game. I, gosh, they are so crisp, unbelievably clean. Everybody seemed to be liking them. At least that's the way it appeared on the internet, which is not always reflective of reality. But I don't know how you can look at those and say, oh, those are no good. No, they're fantastic. They're crisp. They, they, they pop. They've got the throwback component. They're just outstanding. Do not expect to see them against Washington, though. Because as the road team, we are responsible for wearing the light color. Unless you have a color rush combo like... USC, UCLA, or Oregon, Oregon State the last couple of years has done that where, you know, the Ducks have been wearing all green and the Beavs have been wearing orange and orange and they've had the black helmets. Um, and I saw the Beavs in orange, orange, and orange helmets. I I, I didn't hate it. I, I think I liked it better with the black helmets. I think Oregon State with the black helmets and the orange and the orange looks really good. As for the Washington game while we're on the subject, I don't expect to see the throwbacks, though that would be a welcome rollout on on October 14th but what I do want to see the game is at 12:30 Pacific time on ABC that got announced no surprise that'll be a highly watched football game not just in the northwest but elsewhere because that game's got college football playoff ramifications we know that and that's something we'll you know dive into more next week on on the show and such or if you want me to do it this week hey let me know um I would love to see Washington in all black and Oregon in all white. I, I, I think it would look outstanding. I think the Huskies' best uniforms are the all blacks. And they have, you know, like purple numbers and the purple uh, on the helmet, like a little white outline kind of. Like, I think those look really good. And I'm always here for a Stormtrooper look. One of my favorite combos of all time. So that's enough uniform talk for now. But... At some point during this season, maybe for the Oregon State game as an homage to the death of the Pac-12, they, they got to wear them at some point. Like, you can't tease us like that. If anyone in the Oregon Equipment Department or Athletics Department listens to or watching, watches this show, first of all, I love that. Second of all, you can't tease us like that and just say, well, you could go buy one in the store. Yeah, but I want to see them on the field. I want to see them on TV. That's when they look good. So... Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Let's wrap up with a mailbag question. This is from Nathan. Hey, Spencer, good shows today. This is from a little while back. A couple of random duck thoughts on the Hayward Field topic, as a recruiting pitch, that is. If you does a major renovation on Autzen, what do you think about football playing in Hayward for a year or even floating around a la OSU last year, some partial attendance games at Autzen, a game at Providence Park, I know a little small, a couple of games at Hayward, 25K capacity with added seating, maybe a neutral site game at Lumen Field in Seattle, et cetera, on the Ducks' defense. Okay, so let's address that first. I am against everything in there (laughs) except, you know, if they did renovations and it was at limited capacity, like that's not unprecedented, but I would also prefer that it not have to happen. I want people to be able to go to games. I want Oregon to have the best home field possible. I, I am never going to be on board playing football games Anywhere but Autzen Stadium for a home game. Absolutely not. Um, not not trying to hate on you for the question or anything. I always appreciate the question, but I think you guys tune into the show to hear my honest opinion. And no, I don't want to see games played anywhere except Autzen. And if you're going to do construction, get it done. Get it, First of all, get it started the moment 
the last snap at Autzen Stadium is taken and get it done before the next season. That is what I would say. I don't know that anything at Autzen needs to change, though. Uh, you know, Reeser was is a much smaller capacity stadium, so they kind of had to upgrade and modernize it. I, I've heard that Autzen could, you know, maybe improve in a couple ways, but I don't think I don't think Autzen needs to change. All right. Uh, second part of the question on the Ducks defense. Do you think it's even in the realm of possibility they're favoring tipping and batting down passes and not as aggressively going for picks in games like Colorado where they aren't needed in doing perhaps upcoming opponents, Washington, USC might feel a bit more comfortable in throwing up 50, 50 balls and the like curious as to your thoughts on these go ducks. So I don't think that the lack of batted balls, because I don't remember seeing a lot, it is a product of Oregon not being aware of that. I, I think that your primary objective as a pass rusher is to get to the quarterback. And guess what? Oregon is doing an excellent job getting to the quarterback. 18 sacks through five games. That's how many sacks they had in 13 games last year. And they played Stanford, and they played Colorado, and they played Texas Tech, who's probably comparable to BYU. Like they, they played those teams last year too, and they didn't get as much pressure on the quarterback. So I think that with the batted balls thing, it's hard. It, it can be hard to do and, and is something that you kind of go to if you aren't getting pressure. But Oregon's just their win rate and their pressure rate is so, so good that they don't have to be worrying about that quite as much. It's not that you never consider that. But number one, it's hard to bat balls down when you're going up against good quarterbacks. And Tyler Shuck is solid. Shure Sanders is really good. And Stanford didn't throw the ball uh, a whole heck of a lot. But if you can get to him first, yeah, I'd rather you get to him than take a chance on kind of sitting back, waiting to read his eyes, and, and then trying to bat the ball down. I, I think the defensive lines I talked about yesterday has been really, really good. Um, so that's uh, that's how I feel on that. Good question, though. Keep them coming. YouTube comments, Twitter, or join the Locked on Ducks subtext community. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.